Welcome to allthingsnew.tech, where we are exploring the intersection of theology and technology. Technology is changing our jobs, relationships, and even our identities. It's easy to get excited about all the new things, but as Christians, we also believe that God is redeeming this world through His effort, making all things new. Today, Paul Taylor from All Things New is talking with Pat Gelsinger, the CEO of VMware. His company employs over 20,000 employees and focuses on products to enable cloud computing and virtual platforms. Paul and Pat will be talking about the relationship between the virtual and the real, how God uses technology for his purposes, and what to look forward to as technology progresses. We hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, I think we're all set here. Um, well, this is Paul Taylor with allthingsnew.tech, and I'm sitting here with Pat Gelsinger, who is the CEO of VMware. He's been here for six years after 30 years at Intel, ending up as the SVP running enterprise and at EMC for three years. I've known Pat, we got to know each other maybe four or five years ago, yeah, right after you came? Five years ago, yeah, soon after I came to the Bay Area. Yeah. And Pat, you came to the Bay Area just excited about what God had done in other cities and wanting to bring it here. Tell me a little bit about what that was all about. Well, we were here, you know, I was, uh, began my career here, originally a Pennsylvania boy, right, mm. farm boy, uh, started at Intel, was here for 10 years, met my wife, we had all of our children here, we moved to Oregon, and we're there for 20 years, so 10 years, 20 years, my full 30 years at Intel, and then uh, after 30 years, I changed jobs and went to EMC on the East Coast for three years, which was just stunning, right, you know, when you've been someplace for 30 years, it's like, you know, you're you don't know where you stop and they you know you're part of the furniture at that yeah, point right, right. and uh, so that was just ch- a dramatic change west coast east coast uh, leaving uh, intel so there for three years and then emc was the majority owner of vmware right. so it was a sort of an in the family move that i uh-huh. moved back to the bay area but when we moved to the bay area it was uh, my wife had said when we left the bay Right, uh, mm-hmm. almost thirty years earlier, that we're now ne- she's never coming back. Well, <laughs> and when God brought us back, it was sort of like she clawed her way across the nation. Right, right? she did not want to come back to the bay, but uh, and there was really, you know, I'll say two miraculous things that happened. One was that our kids sort of migrated back to the Bay, and now we have all of our grandkids here. So now if I tried to move her from the Bay Area, I could not happen, right? Right. We have three three plus a foster baby, two babies on the way, so we'll have six grandbabies here in the next couple of months. So she is here forever. Uh And then it was not just being a great job for VMware and being the CEO of a growing software company, but it was really how could God use us in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. And out of that came the vision for what became TBC, right. right? Transforming the Bay and bringing business leaders together with parachurch leaders, with church uh, leaders to transform the Bay. And you know, we had some of the first meetings. That's where you and I first met, yeah, Paul. Those are great. And uh, now TBC is a thriving organization that's helping to change the uh, nat- the uh, view of eternity in the Bay Area. Oh, absolutely. So I want to think a little bit, you know, I've heard you talk a lot about faith at work and being a Christian in workplace, but I, I want to think specifically about technology, and you've always worked in the field of technology, and I, I've heard you say your story of kind of feeling like you ought to become a pastor, but God was calling you into industry, but particularly tech. So I, I'm curious for you, what about technology in particular really drew you as a career? Yeah, and, you know, from the first time I touched a computer, 
it was like, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, you know, I've always said to people that you should uh, uh, find something you're good at and are passionate about. And the days will be short for the rest of your career. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, I just was good at it. Right? What did you, what was that feeling? You said the first time you touched it, I can visualize that. What, what, what filled you that made you want to do that more? Well, the first time, and I remember it was, a, a, you know, I did it on a TRS-80. We had a little PDP-1124 programming uh, machine. I had, a, uh, what was the old, uh, there was, you know, a couple of these very, very early single board computers. But right. I could write a program, and that machine did what I had told it to do. Huh. Right. And it was sort of that idea of, OK. Yeah. Right. You know, and I, you know, the idea of programming this machine and being able to, you know, and, you know, I mean, you're doing simple little things like sure. stoplight, you know, traffic light controllers and other, you know, right. sort of basic functions. But all of a sudden you could see how this could become something big. Yeah. And so, you know, and all of a sudden I was just like, and how does it work? How could I make it work better? And, uh, the, you know, that became passionate. And then I got to Intel and it's like the microprocessor. I thought I had reached, you know, it's like I have gone to Mount Zion and I have right, seen the holy right. of holies. The Intel, and, that's <laughs> Intel inside. Everything's got it, right? Yeah. And it was just one of those kind of moments where, and, uh, you know, I remember when I interviewed with the uh, microprocessor design team to join them, uh, it was like, you know, I thought literally, you know, I was at the feet of Moses, right? right you know, yeah. just like, wow, you know, these are the it's guys. Experience. Yeah, yeah, it really was, uh, huh. you know, that kind of thing. I was just awestruck by what we did. And all of a sudden, you know, I was part of the team. And then I became leader of the team. And yeah. now I'm leading, you know, some of the most important, like I became the first architect of the 8046, maybe the most important chip in the industry at the time. Right. And at 25 years old, I'm the design manager. That's you incredible. know, it was, yeah, there was literally nobody on the team that was younger than me and I'm the manager in wow. charge. It was, you know, just some, you know, fabulous experience. So you're designing these, you're designing a chip that runs a computer that, I mean, I think of that first time you touch those computers, you talk about creating something that obeys you and creating something that controls the world. And I, I think that that's one of the themes I've been exploring a lot as I've been inter kind of thinking about theology and technology is that technology one of my phrases is that it makes us become better gods in kind of a lowercase g sense mm -hmm. that we mm -hmm. have this calling to rule the world in a sense. Mm -hmm. And technology actually gives us almost a godlike capability to do that. But it sounds some of the language you're using feels like you tasted that a little bit. Is that, is yeah. that right? Yeah. And the, the, and the fact that these computers get more powerful and Moore's law, right? Yeah. You know, right. You know, and every year, right. You're sort of, you know, right. Every, t you know, Moore's law says, you know, every two years you double the number of transistors, yeah. right? Wow. You know, if you give me twice as much stuff to work with, right. I can do more things yeah. and you can conquer bigger problems and you can run faster and you can solve things. And all of a sudden then, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll touch on it more, but I remember when I was working on the 8046, uh -huh. I'm the chief architect of the 46, this yeah. is my chip, right? I'm doing the very first, you know, what's it going to look like rough sketches and everything. And my uh, chief marketing officer, for the 46 comes running into my office and he says, we must make the 46 a great AI chip. Wow. What year is this? 1986. 1986. Okay. Right. So the, must make it a great AI chip. And this is thinking machines yeah. and some of the early languages like Prologue and Lisp, some of the, you know, the foundational languages for machine learning, right. hidden Markov models, the basics of neural networks and wow. so on are being, all starting there. right. You know, we're starting at that period of time. And what happened in 1986 for uh, AI? 
absolutely nothing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because the machines weren't big enough yet. The algorithms okay. were mature. There wasn't enough data. So I describe AI as an overnight 30-year success. Wow, right. Because the foundations were laid, but all these other technologies had to mature. And that's the idea sort of of Moore's Law, that you have this exponential improvement. So those same crappy algorithms, yeah. right, you know, all of a sudden start producing interesting results. Because the power gets bigger and bigger. Power and gets bigger and bigger. And, you know, when I, I call us today that, uh, you know, today we're in the era of superpowers, right? Right, where we used to think of superpowers as nations like USSR and USA and so on. Well, now superpowers are technology, right? And I call it the big four today: cloud, mobility, AI, and IoT are the four superpowers of okay. technology today. And they're not only superpowers in their own right, but they're reinforcing each other, causing right. it to get faster. You know, the more mobile devices, well, I need more uh, cloud, right, to connect all of those devices. The more cloud, you know, I have more computing that I can uh, make the AI better. Right. The more AI, the more new IoT use cases. The more IoT use cases, I'm able to drive more demand for mobile applications. Yeah, the more yeah. mobile applications, you know, and it's just right. reinforcing the cycle of each other. And I think in that regard that we're in uh, the golden age of technology, where it's not just this tech thing anymore, right? You know, it's not like, you know, some geeky, right, uh, uh, guys who sit in the back room. You know, now it's everybody is right. being influenced and every right. area of society and business is being touched by technology, right, in fundamental and profound ways. So here's what interests me. So um, the, let's go back to those four categories. But let me, one of the, one of the things I, one of the stories I tell is about how um, over history, you can kind of divide up modern technology a little bit if you go modern in a broad sense from like the 15th, 16th century into three eras. One is the era um, where we were building machines. And so we were building agricultural machines, textile machines, these powerful things. Transportation that, machines. Transportation. Yeah. So we're increasing our, our physical power in the world. Mm -hmm. And then there's this era where we are building communication tools. And so mm -hmm. the telephone, telegraph, and I would even put airplane, uh, trains vehicles so that we can we can get places quicker and we can bridge over distances through virtual conversations right so we're we're, we're focused on in a sense presence right and then in the latest era we've been focused on data we've been focused on knowledge collecting analyzing storing disseminating and so we've been focused on um intelligence awareness data um knowledge and so if you think about those three categories, power, presence, and knowledge, those are the three categories we think that God exists in, that he is all-powerful, all-present, and all-knowing. And it strikes me, I thought of that when you said of your four categories, because in a sense, the cloud, the mobility, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, I mean, God is everywhere in the Internet of Things. God can go anywhere in mobility. God exists in the cloud. There's some parallels there that mm -hmm. in a sense, oh, like, it's interesting. Yes. Our, our technology is 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 getting us closer to the character of God, in a sense. He's becoming everywhere, and that technology knows everything and can do anything. And I, I guess the, the question I keep asking is, what, how does that affect us? Like, I mean, you, you, you're, you're, you're a Christian, you believe in God, you follow God. How do you think that, that optimism for technology to do all these things relates to your humility at the feet of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think about it in a couple of ways, yeah. Paul. 
You know, one is is that uh, you know I'm sitting here in Silicon Valley. You know, some will take you know and call technology their god. Yeah, for right? sure. Right, we have no need for a god anymore. They'll just be explicit, right? Right, you yeah, know, because you know technology has clearly disproven the need for any of that. Right. You know, right? You know, anybody of weak mind, weak character, right? You yeah. you need a crutch. That's right. right? called God, That's right? right? Silly know. people believe yeah. in God. Right, you know, yeah. and so on. Uh, and yeah, and for that, you know, obviously I'm of the dramatic alternative yes. perspective, right? <laughs> right? You know, that the more we learn of the, right, you know, I mean, you know, technology is doing what? It's unleashing, right, the basic nature of God's creation. Yeah, okay. Right, where, you know, everything that we learn, you know, everything that data is allowing us to learn about how the human body operates. Uh-huh. You know, it's not like we're replacing the human body. We're just learning more about how God designed it in the first place. Right, interesting. Right? You know, and uh, boy, you know, it's like, you know, we barely even understand some of the basic mechanisms of the human body. Right. Well, does that mean that we can now start replacing God in the human body? Right. I think it's actually quite the opposite. Yeah. But, you know, we see many saying I can replace God with yeah. technology. Right. I also think that there's, you know, so, and we've seen this over history, that some of the greatest scientists have found their inspiration, these breakthrough, these aha moments, right, in their deepest spiritual moments. Uh-huh. Right. Where, you know, and they attribute, right, their greatest insights to God. Yeah. Right. You know, as well. And to me, I, you know, I see that over and over again that, you know, the more I study God's creation, the more innovative I can be. Yeah. Because you're inspired by his, his example. Right. You know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and we've seen that over and over again. And I think as uh, we've seen throughout uh, history, you know, we've seen people argue that, you know, God can be replaced by technology or right. God is inspiring our technology as we, ha- you know, as it sort of unlocks us to look closer yeah. at him. And I also see that, you know, on one of my big themes, uh, you know, when I talk at different conferences and so on, is that our job is to shape technology as a force for good. That's great. That's, yeah, I love, I love to hear more about that. Yeah. And, you know, because, you know, I, I was just, you know, I say, you know, the Gutenberg printing press, was it good or bad? Right. You know, it could print Luther's Bible. Right. Or it could uh, print uh, propaganda. Right, exactly. Right, yeah. right as well. Sort of the printing press didn't care. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, everything, every major invention since then can get used for good or bad. You know, and, uh, you know, distributed blockchain today, it can enable criminal transactions, right? Or it could reduce the cost of transactions that we can now put banking to every human on the planet. So is there a burden then on the technologist to create technology? I mean, you can't, the technologist can't be responsible for the use, but can you build technology that limits the bad and... Promotes the good or, you know what I mean? Well, you know, technology is neutral. Okay. Right? You know, so if you, always, if you start with that premise, and then I'll say it's our job to shape it as a force for good. Okay. Right? You know, as we go forward, as we evolve it. And similarly, you could say, you know, is, is AI going to be a force for good? Right. Right? And, uh, you know, like there's a hot topic today, you know, is, is our AI biased? Uh-huh. How have we created AI that doesn't put gender bias or sexual bias or, right, you know, into it, right, as it selects? Okay. And I'd say that's the responsibility of the tech community. Another topic in AI today is provable Mm -hmm. AI, right? You know, how do I know the AI gave me the right answer, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I know it came up with a good answer, 
but how do I know it came up with the right answer and what was the logic steps that it took to get there, Yeah. right? Because if you tell me uh, something is true, I'll ask you, Paul, I said, well, how do you know it's true? Right. 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 And appeal to some authority or I'm going to right, appeal to my right. experience. Right. You know, or you're going to give me a deductive reasoning process right. to get there. But if the AI tells me this is the answer and you can't give me the sure. reason why. How do you know? How do I know? Uh-huh. Right. If I'm going to start subjecting more and more of the systems and you're going to get into, you know, more value statements, uh-huh. you know, when the self-driving a car chooses to hit the old lady versus the young boy on the bicycle. Right. Well, right. You know, you're you left with decision? these moral dilemmas. Yep. Right. You know, and I'll say those kind of things clearly have always separated, you know, I'll say technology from humanity, from God. Mm, right. Because good. we introduce. Right. Uh, you know, we introduce, uh, you know, creativity. We introduce moral authority. We introduce understandings of right and wrong. Right. And those kind of questions are not ones that technologists right, answer. Right. You know, we can take those answers and put them into our technology, but the technology does not give us the right or wrong. And that's part of what I'm hoping to do more of is facilitate that kind of conversation where you have technologists talking to theologians and pastors and community activists and saying, you know, how do we do this? Because you say you want to shape technology for good, but that begs the question, what is good? Mm-hmm. Who, mm-hmm. who gets to define good? And, and is there even a consensus on good and whose opinions? So let me, let, let me press on VMware a little bit. Cause I was thinking about this and tell me what you think. Um, it struck me that in your career, you know, you started off at Intel, you, you're, you're making a thing, right? You're making a chip, a mm-hmm. physical thing. And now VMware's business, as far as I understand it, is in not making a thing, but making a virtual machine that is in some ways completely independent of the things it runs on, the, the stuff, the physicality. And it, it seems to me that that's part of a general trend in technology, that we're trying to kind of get away from the real, the physical, and get towards the virtual, the, the, the cloud, the everything. And, and, and that's, there's very good technological reasons for that. But it also strikes me from a Christian theological perspective that the, the, the New Testament authors were insistent on the reality of Jesus's body. The Old Testament was, was almost obsessed with the physical manifestation of God's presence. There, there, there's all this theology around physicality and reality and and i wonder about our fascination with the virtual how does that relate have have you given that Mm. any thought not to pit one of your careers against the other but uh. (laughs) (laughs) well and i do think there's an aspect of this that um you know when i was at intel Uh you know i was in the center of technological innovation. Yeah. The action was in the silicon, was in the physical. Right, and now in, it's changed. Yeah, and now, for the most part, everybody sort of says, okay, those are sort of done. Right. Right, you know, we can build on that now, and, yeah. you know, every cloud service, and, you know, I mean, there's, you know, these very, very powerful silicon chips, but right. we can sort of presume those now. Yeah, now, now the, the action is, is virtual. Right, now the action is in the software layers, the distributed systems, the, right, you know, we've moved from the physical to, the virtual from the hardware to the uh, software from the tangible to the intangible that's right yeah. right uh in that and so somewhat i'll say i'm just sort of i have a pragmatic career in that regard i've yeah. moved to where the action is sure right, right which makes sense right now but also as you think about things like iot why is iot so interesting because it's bridging us back to the physical okay 
right? And I do think that, uh, right, if you would, of my four superpowers, cloud, mobility, AI, and IoT, uh-huh. right, IoT actually is a bridge back to the physical world yeah, right. where we bring intelligence to every physical object. Yeah. So I think we're actually, you know, in almost every aspect of technology, there's been this pendulum swing, mm. right, of technology over time. So I do think we're actually going to be bridging much more back to the physical world as IoT allows us to start bringing intelligence essentially to everything. That makes sense. Right, Uh, as we uh, go forward. So I think it's a fun time in that uh, uh, respect, and I think that'll be a very dominant overall theme you know for technology over the next uh, decade or two where you know you're you know you don't need a door lock anymore because it will have facial recognition as you walk in right right you know uh, up to the door and it will know that it's paul and this is your home and will allow you in and when yeah. you walk in your smart thermostat will you know know that you're already on the way home because your smart devices have already set it it's already started to warm up or cool down the house to right. optimize it open the shades or close the shades, right? Yeah. You know, as you're walking uh, in the door, right, it will be, you know, your smart uh, appliances will start doing the right thing as you arrive. You know, your smart glasses will give you the appropriate information to let you right. know. So that as you're driving, your smart car will inform you that there's been an accident or your normal route home or redirecting you uh, as well. Your smart uh, personal devices as well will be informing your doctor or week ahead of your appointment of all of your biometric information since your last appointment and how you're trending versus your own health objectives, your own demographic group, your DNA comparative groups. So by the time you're showing up, I always sort of joke about this, by the time you show up to the doctor's appointment, right, if your blood pressure isn't high, right, something's wrong. Right, because right. you probably were late, right? You struggled to find a parking spot, right? You yeah. rushed to get in the door on time, right? You know, for it. So by the time you get there, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. so any of the biometrics they actually take when you show up there sure. are probably the most distorted, right, right? Right. You know, as well. And why don't I have a complete statistical sampling, right, yeah. of your entire experience? six months since you've been to the doctor, right? right? You know, and all those kind of things are going to become part of how we exist in the future. So. Which is interesting because in a sense you're describing the, like, the ubiquity of God. I mean, it's like, it's almost as if technology is doing all these things and then, but then it disseminates everywhere and mm-hmm. then it, yeah. It, yeah. It, it affects every aspect of our lives, which as, as Christians, we believe that should be true of God. We believe mm-hmm. that God should be, in, in our lives at home and in our lives at work and in our lives at play and in our relationships and in our finances. And it's almost like you see that same progression of technology invading all aspects of our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How have you, like, you know, one, one of the questions people ask is, how, you know, how do you build some boundaries? How do you, how do you function in that way? And I'm curious, just you individually as a husband and a father and a grandfather, how do you, manage technology and use it and and not not let it overtake your life all all of those kinds of things yeah and i think like any like anything you know uh uh you know every aspect of human life you know has a pro and a con mm-hmm. right and every and every strength has its correlated weakness right right and you have to put disciplines and boundaries associated with everything uh-huh. Right. And that, you know, I like donuts, but if I eat too many donuts, right, I'm not healthy. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you have yeah. to put, you know, boundaries. Uh, and similarly with technology. Mm. Right. You know, if I'm always connected. Right. And I, uh, you know, answer every text message and email immediately. And right. we can never be in conversation.
conversation, yeah. right? Uh, you know, and I never make eye contact with you, even though I'm sitting next to you, and right. I might even be texting you sitting next exactly. to you. It's like, yeah. you, yeah. know, you know, right? There are the you know you have to build disciplines. into your own life and uh for it and i remember you know when i was growing up you know people says oh right we're going to turn everybody into mush because they watch tv all the time right now it's just something else yeah you know now it's the next thing right Right. you always have that sort of next thing that is challenging and the pace of technology is so uh uh, so exponential Uh right you know they look at it so you know it's always that question of uh, you know are you going to use it in a way that is good Yes. Right, you know, yeah. if you get back to that theme as well, tech as a force, tech as a force for good, and that's yeah. a social statement as well as a business statement as well as a community statement, uh, a personal well. statement. Yeah, right. Yeah. In, in, in every uh, in every respect, and you know, all of us need to put those boundaries. And as parents, we need to build those boundaries into you know how our kids use technology. Right. And uh, you know, it's not like you can shut it off. We can't be Amish and you know you know right. <laughs> you know you know put the, put the the last piece of technology at 1869 and you know that doesn't work but then you also have to say how do i shape it for good in every aspect of your personal human and family experiences yeah those are tough questions it's tough to figure <laughs> out sometimes uh so there's a couple of questions i'm trying to ask everybody that i have a conversation with first and you've touched on this but looking forward as you think about your kids and your grandkids what most excites you about the prospects for technology? Well, probably the one area that I think we're going to see over the next couple of decades, the most dramatic benefits is in healthcare, Mm. right? Where it truly will be just fundamentally improving the quality of life through healthcare. You know, and I think technology, you know, stunningly, right? Stunningly of all of the major segments of the economy, right? You know, one of the things, you know, we studied is, you know, financial services has the highest percentage of their overall spend spent on technology. Financial services. Does. Financial services okay. does today. Healthcare has the lowest. Interesting. Right. You know, so, right. Which you find stunning. Right. Right. As well. And clearly you're seeing, you know, these breakthroughs, whether it's, you know, diagnostic, you know, data driven, et cetera. And I believe that will be, you know, for my grandchildren, you know, many of the things, you know, where, you know, literally, you know, heart disease was probably was the number one thing, you know, for my parents. Right. Right. You know, cancer is the number one thing for us. Right. Right. You know, it's a threat. You know, geriatric diseases are the number one things that, you know, are facing us now as we've increased lifespan. And as we start tackling cancer, you know, is that fundamental health care, right, will be dramatically improved for the next, you know, for essentially our grandchildren, Paul. What's your take on biological immortality that that we're going to kind of, you know, some people have claimed in 10 years we'll be, you know, Mm -hmm. every, every 10 years we'll be able to expand the lifespan at are you optimistic about that? Do you do you question that? that oh, I, you know, I you know I think God designed the body to wear out, right? right? You know, you know, I mean, He uh, you know, since the fall of man, right, sin will come that way. I think we're going to see significant increases in uh, uh, life duration, but the body wears out, uh-huh. right? And I don't think we're going to replace that, you know, uh, by any means, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, uh, I think those functional things, you know, many of the impacts. Right of uh, many of the diseases, I do think we'll see fundamental cancers eliminated, right? Mm, right, right as well. You know, I think we'll be able to meaningfully decrease the impact of the geriatric diseases, right? right? And uh, we'll probably see lifespans, uh, you know, climb close to a hundred years old. 
mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, from the low 80s where we are uh, today. But I think that's sort of where it will end, right? Right uh, at that point. And uh, you know, if God tarries that long, right? Yeah. So I asked you what you're excited about for technology. I also like to ask people, what are you most concerned about? How can you view things? going off the rails? What scares you the most about technology? Yeah, I do think that there's this aspect that, um, uh, and I've, ca- I, I've called it that uh, Silicon Valley, right? If I say that for the tech leadership, sure. has an obligation in two dimensions. One is shaping tech as a force for good. And second is uh, being active, proactive, and involved in setting the regulatory and social frameworks for technology. Okay. Right. And, uh, you know, I spent time, uh, you know, I've seen probably, you know, of the 100 senators, I've probably personally visited with 50 of them. Uh-huh. Right. And I view that as our obligation. Right. Right. Where we have to be, you know, because here you are, you know, some lawyer or some local business leader who now is in a position of shaping law and regulation right. for our, our nation or any nation in the world. Yeah. No technology basis. Right. And now you're saying they have to make the decisions. most powerful impact in society, business, uh, uh, government relationships is technology. Yeah. And you have no idea right. what that means. No intuition, no understanding of it, yeah. but write laws for it. Yeah, right. We better be actively sitting there and playing that. And I, I sort of uh, uh, co- condemn my peers sure. in the valley that we sort of treat government and regulation like cowboys. We ride right. into Washington, we take out our six shooter, we shoot them up on the issue of the day, and then we ride back to Silicon Valley and hope they don't screw up our business. Right. right? You know, we have an obligation to be involved in shaping these questions that are, you know, fundamental to the progress of our nation. So what would happen? I mean, what what's the worst case? Like, if it goes wrong, if people don't, if the regulatory things aren't there, if things go off the path, mm-hmm. what kind of world would we live in? Well, what I, are the I'd dangers? Say, yeah, and clearly, uh, you know, you could really start to see technology warfare, right? Okay. Where, you know, we're no longer worried about, you know, how many uh, uh, battleships does a nation have right. or nuclear warheads, right? You know, but... How, you know, it really could be the view when, you know, there's been some, uh, like Kai Fu Lee's uh, recent book about, you know, China surpassing the U.S. and AI recently, right, right? and uh, so on, where, you know, we could be in, you know, that we're battling for technology supremacy, right, you know, between countries. And and, and how do we shape, right, yeah. uh, that in a positive way? Clearly, some of the cyber warfare things, right. you know, have been demonstrable about, you know, the, you know, I think it's pretty well documented at this point that before uh, Russia uh, took over Crimea, launched a, a fundamental cyber attack on all of the uh, Ukrainian infrastructure, Wow. Right, you know, as the precursor to that. So those are some examples, uh, but maybe even closer to home was uh, you know all of the things that we've seen with Facebook and other things uh, recently as well, and fake news and all sure. of this kind of kind of things where you know there's fundamental responsibilities for what those look like and yeah. need to look like. And clearly, as you then combine some of the uh, biological and uh, human aspects as well, you know, what are the implications of CRISPR and DNA editing? Right. Exactly. Right. You know, as looking forward and what are the social uh, responsibilities around those? Yep. And again, those, um, you know, 
technology is marching forward at an extraordinary pace and it's going to accelerate. Now, how do we shape that in the proper way that matches our nation's view of right and wrong, yep. you know, good and bad, you know, the social norms that we're going to expect, the legal boundaries, the regulatory responsibilities of uh, institutions. And, yeah. uh, you know, if businesses that are fundamentally creating these technologies have no legal indemnification or responsibility against them. Yeah. Right. You know, as well. And, you know, individual consumers are left uh, flapping in the breeze. I think there's all sorts of these yeah. kind of things. And I think, you know, good, proper engagement, you know, early in those processes creates the right frameworks that allow these things truly to be forces for good and progress of humanity and productivity of economic growth. Yeah, I love that. I think let's close with that picture. But I love that just picture that, you know, here you are, the CEO of a tech company meeting with senators, meeting with pastors, meeting with normal people and and you know it's that it's that conversation it's that everybody at the table and that's where it comes from that not just being isolated working in our little silos but saying we need to talk about this and get the opinions together and i'm grateful for you being willing to do that today and hopefully you can inspire others to join in thank you paul and i do think that there's such an extraordinary uh uh, opportunity in front of us as a tech community and as christians and as i as i have described my uh, personal uh mission statement right is to work on a piece of technology that touches every human on the planet and every modality of life so right just a simple little thing just a simple little thing yes and you know hey i help create usb i help create wi-fi you right. know, i help building cloud you know so you know so, so yeah. like, mm, my numbers are getting pretty big You're getting right? there, yeah. you pretty know close. as well but then i also say that you know it that that will be done so that the word of god can touch every human on the planet and every modality uh of life That's and great. and for that you know, I really think that uh, as you think about the technological progress of humanity, yeah. you know, why did Christ come when he came, Paul? Right. Right. And I will argue that at least one of the factors was that Rome had connected the planet, uh-huh. right? That the word could go out, yep. right? Uh, as a result of Christ coming at that period of the Pax Romana. Through the Roman roads and the societal yeah. systems. Right. right. It was all connected. The word of God could go out. Yeah. We have now crossed... We're, Fifty percent of humanity is now connected to the internet. That's amazing, right? You know, just have crossed it. You know, literally this year, right? Right, a fifty percent of humanity, right? Uh, historians uh, would argue that the Roman road system had connected approximately sixty to seventy percent of humanity at wow. that period of Christ. So we're about to become as connected as we were at the period of Christ that's incredible. for the first time since then. Right. right? You say, that's the technology that we're doing. Yeah. And how will it be used for God's to purposes. allow the word of God to go out just as it did right when Christ walked this earth? Right. That's what excites me as a technologist and as a Christian. That is super exciting. Excited to see where that goes and how God uses it. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for talking with me. Thank you for listening to allthingsnew.tech. We hope you continue the conversation by subscribing to our blog at allthingsnew.tech. We have a variety of authors working together to develop a biblical framework for engaging with technology. Check it out. Join the conversation.